0: another episode of tunes mate episode 20 and today we've got a very special guest we've got jose diaz joining us so typically it's mark and Ray and jose nice perfect it's so cool because we've had so many conversations about vinyl and comeback of vinyl We even joked about cassettes. We were talking about, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Maybe eight tracks will be cool. (laughs) They'll come back. And it's such an interesting thing how the culture of collecting vinyl and really you're on a mission to visit all local record shops. And now with the whole coronavirus and everything that's happening, I'm just wondering, how is that having an impact on what you're doing and your mission and everything that's been going on with that.
1: Well, it's changed it quite a bit. Like the first interview I wrote was about the shop in Mansfield, old soul, vintage records and attire. I've been in contact with them since January about this. And I was originally going to go down and take pictures and video just to accompany it. But then everything shut down. There's no way I could have done that, but we continued by email and we got the interview done. But I feel that I've been there a dozen or so times that it wasn't necessary for me to go down again. It was, I think it turned out well. The owner was very happy with the result of the interview. She liked it a lot. It's actually a husband and wife that own it and they were happy with it. But as far as this is concerned for future writings, I don't know what's going to happen because we don't know how long the lockdown is going to be for small businesses I know a lot of them are struggling to pay rent. One of them I just wrote up about was a narrative was in Oberlin. He's struggling to pay his bills, but hopefully if we start easing into this, revenue will flow in and I can start visiting these shops again. I just love visiting independent shops because they're totally different than any of the corporate ones. Like if you were to go to Barnes & Noble, for example, they have an extensive record section, but it's nothing like you would find at a local shop owned by an individual yeah. or a couple it's just totally different.
0: And Ray, I mean I know this is one of those things right now where we're kind of in the middle of the everything that's happening, but we've extensively talked about how vinyl has, you know, grown and the change with culture. I remember there was a story you said that there was a discussion that you were having with Jose about this that it all led to having Jose join Tunes Made and come into this crazy thing that we've been doing for, for so many years. How did, you know, what was that story?
2: Yeah, that's how we kind of got started. You know, Jose and I were talking just about vinyl in general. Uh, we were looking at some possible like research project or, you know, cause I do, you know, I look at pop culture, popular culture, popular music from sort of academic lens in a lot of ways and been doing that for 30 years. And, you know, we were just talking about thinking about how to study vinyl as, as a phenomenon and why it happens, why people are into it. I know there's been some work done here and there that looks at that. And we were kind of talking about the what would be interesting to study along those lines. And that's one of a few conversations that led to inviting Jose to join Toonsmate, And that was a guy that spent almost a year and a half ago, right?
1: Yeah, about a year and a half. February of 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Wow!
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, teammates coming up on our 11th anniversary, our 11th birthday, I guess. And oh, cool. and you know, it's just amazing, just how time flies for that 11 years. Just to even think, I mean, it seems like just you know, a couple, a month or two ago, I was having that conversation <laughs> with you, and you know, here it's been more than a year that you've been writing before, and i love that love the stuff you've been
0: doing on well i appreciate it yeah we'll have to do a, a flashback on tunes Mate itself you know like five years ago on tunes Mate eventually or you know
2: <laughs> your daily <Tunes-based laughs> that's podcast. right
0: it's it'll be so yeah. meta
2: <laughs> yeah so
0: it's, it's so interesting because you know, with vinyl and i know we we're just talking about you know how do we continue to support you know, organizations or small little shops that do this. And I know there was like Record Appreciation Day that was like out recently. And I guess, one, as we dig into this, just so interested to hear about, you know, from both you guys, what is the fascination with vinyl and and why has it skyrocketed?
1: What I've noticed from everything that I've read, from just the amateur collector just starting out to people who have been doing this for decades, is the actual ownership of the record itself, holding it in your hand as opposed to just streaming something on Apple Music or Spotify, what have you. The fact of the matter is, is that tomorrow, however unlikely, YouTube could shut down and an entire archive of music videos and music streaming is gone forever. But the vinyl collector will always have their collection. So a lot of people will Look towards that as something having ta- like tangible and something they can hold on to forever. And for a lot of the younger people too, it's a way to effectively communicate how they actually define their music tastes. A lot of people, and I don't really like this, but they like to put their records on the wall to display. This is my favorite record, and never gets played or anything. But it's communicating their taste and their style and their distinct interests and likes. Those are the two main reasons that people. And from what I've read, like to collect records.
2: You know, Jose, that's a really fascinating point you bring up about uh, how we display and how we others see our musical tastes. I, you know, as somebody trained in rhetoric, I think of it that way. You know, that sort of the, the rhetoric of one's musical style is presented mm-hmm. in the the way that we display our music. I think back... As Mark mentioned, you know, we grew up in the 80s and it was cassettes. Yep. And I remember... Gosh, Mark, do you remember my my sort of wall of cassettes in our dorm oh, way yeah. back? Oh, yeah. Right? You know, I mean, I had, you know, what, a couple hundred cassettes. And they were all sort of stacked and sorted on on my time. We had sort of a, a two-shelf tier in our, our dorm room. And I, now they call them residence halls, but, you know, the dorm room. And I had all that stuff stacked. And sometimes people would come in and, you know, they'd start looking and commenting on things that were there or not, that, what was missing, what wasn't there. And then, you know, while we were in college, the, the move to CDs really developed. And I remember, um, you know, like you and I, Mark, going on the record exchange. And, and so I started buying CDs. And so then CDs took the place of those cassettes. But it was still like that it was a wall of music. And, and even if you had limited space, you would take your favorites and stick them there and then the other stuff might be somewhere else, but it was displaying your your musical styles. And, and that speaks to identity. So, you know, Jose, that's a, a fascinating mm-hmm. idea. And especially with records, because there's a display element to an album that is not there with a cassette and a CD. And part of it, and I think a lot of it is the size. Yes. You know, the CDs, when they first came out with CDs... Well, I mean, when they first really took off and when they first came out, but when they really first took off in the early nineties, there was a huge controversy over CD boxes that they came in and, you know, environmental controversy over this. It was like, we're wasting all kinds of cardboard for these boxes and record stores would say, but we need that to display the product so that people can see it. Yet we know today that that's not true because, you know, they found ways to, to just have CDs without the the cardboard boxes around them, but at the same time, those cardboard boxes were the artwork that you you know on the CD you would you would see mm-hmm. what what is kind of the album face on the front of the CD you see that, but it's smaller, it's sometimes truncated, and the the CD boxes did that, and so the same thing with albums here you you have this you know larger I mean this 12 inch Thing that you can look at that's much more visible. You know, if if you're coming in and I got my CDs displayed there, you're not going to see a lot until you get close to them. You know, I got my albums displayed. You're going to really be able to see. At least my favorites are going to be pretty visible. And at the same time, if I'm just stacking them, I can get they're they're longer but they're thinner, and so I can get a whole bunch in there because of the thinness Mm -hmm. of the CD. And gosh, I remember you know in the '70s and '80s growing up and looking through my dad's record collection, it was real easy to just. Scan right through and you could look through, you know, 40 albums just like that and see, oh, the who and the Beatles and you name it. And I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah, I think so. It was interesting because recently I uh, I went to a garage sale, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something. And also our local library had, a, you know, we're going to do one of those library sales and they just had yeah, all this vinyl cool. out there. So I bought some of it and I had it laid around my house. And recently I decided to plug the record player in and, you know, I had some of the albums out. And it was interesting just to see the couple that I bought and just have them sitting there. And you walk by and you're like, oh, wow, look, Foreigner. Hmm. So you pop it on. And I think the one I had, I think there were only two hits on this one particular Foreigner album I had. So I put it on and it was interesting to it kind of sucks you in because you see it and then you start playing it and it feels like a completely different experience. Even if I were streaming it and listening to the tracks one after another, online, just putting the needle down and listening to it, there's just something with that too, that, that whole experience.
1: Yeah, it's a ritual. I mean, if you think about it from the beginning, there's the whole idea of taking out the record from the shelf, picking out the specific album you want to listen to, slipping it out of the, the dust cover, taking it out of the jacket, placing it on there, waiting for the needle to get to speed, and then dropping it precisely. And then you want to sit down and enjoy it because you have to wait for the end of the record so you can flip it again and finish the album. It's not just like streaming where you can just let something play and go start making dinner or whatnot. You have to pay attention to what's going on because there is a definite end to that music. You have to wait for it. And the whole idea of ritual too, that comes into play there.
2: Yeah, that's a, again, I mean, that's, I love that idea about the ritual and it really comes home what you said, Jose, about the you, know, you put it on for dinner. I mean, I do that all the time. I'm washing dishes and I'll throw on something mm-hmm. streaming or I'm making dinner and I, yeah, you know, same kind of thing. I'm doing some kind of work around that I can put on music in the background. And it really shows that each of these technological forms have their pluses and minuses, right? So streaming allows us to do a lot of things, but at the same time, it changes. It's kind of like McLuhan, the the medium is the message here, right? It changes the meanings, at least some of the meanings that music has in our lives for better, for worse, for indifferent, whatever, you know, but it, it certainly does that. And so what, like you mentioned, the ritual of that, I mean, streaming is compact. It's, accessible, it's transferable, I can go anywhere with this, etc. But it lacks that ritual quality. There's not a lot of, at least, I I mean, some might disagree, or I guess if I think about this, I might think of the rituals. But at least, at the very least, the ritual is significantly different, the ritual of streaming something. And again, the display isn't there, right? That, you know, I'm streaming, this is all just files on my computer. And I mean, I might, you know, get an image. To, you know, if I want to play, and this is just the first one that comes to mind, like Living Color album or something like that, right? You know, I got a Living Color. Mm-hmm. I could bring up an image of them on my computer to make it look like, you know, I'm that's like I'm listening to it. But it's all just kind of in there. It's not on display. And that ritual that you mentioned, Jose, you know, you're gonna pull this out of the out of the sleeve, out of the jacket. You're gonna you're gonna put it on the record player, and even you're gonna pick where you want it right? you know you don't have to start at the beginning but you gotta pick where you want it and you gotta you gotta figure that out and you gotta there's a whole in a sense there's even more action on the consumers part that goes with that I don't I don't yeah, know if I would good. call it agency I don't know that that I have but there there's room for agency there's room for me to to make this my own experience which I can do with streaming I mean I can you know start a streaming file in the middle but there's there's a physical presence there
0: mm-hmm. yeah well, right when you're talking I, I started laughing because it's got to be a tunes made thing. When you started singing Ritual, all I can think of was the Sticks song, Love is the Ritual. <laughs> when uh, it was the, uh, what was that? Uh, Dennis DeYoung came back. They had that song, Show Me the yeah, Way. Me we
2: had that album from uh, 1990, ninety, ninety
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just kept thinking, I was like, maybe that could be. Part of your, I know your your new series, <laughs> you could do the, the show me the oh, way, yeah. but it is interesting how that whole ritual aspect, It, I, I guess I've really never thought of it that way, but you go through so many motions to get that going. And then the thing I keep hearing is, oh, it's the sound quality. And I'm interested to hear what, you, what your research has shown on does playing vinyl. Is there something with the sound
1: quality that <laughs> goes beyond... Other mediums? Yes and no. All right. Now, records themselves are as pure as music can get in a physical form, yes. But I was talking to Ray about this a couple of years ago. The only reason why my record setup sounds significantly better, say, than like a Bluetooth speaker and a phone, is the money that I've sunk into it. If you think about like how much the record player, the preamplifier, the amplifier, and the speakers, you're talking several hundred dollars at minimum. So that equipment better sound good for that price. Now, now if you were to think about like those little uh, suitcase players that you see like at Target and Walmart, the $50 suitcase, we call them record ruiners within (laughs) audiophile circles, but those have the tiniest little speakers. They're no better than your phone, and they don't produce any low-end. They don't produce any dynamic range whatsoever. And then you'll get kids listening to records on that, ruining them, by the way. And they swear, like, oh, the analog warmth is so perfect. There's no way to listen to music other than vinyl. But like I said, it's no different than listening to your phone speaker. So there is some merit there. (laughs) And I have had conversations with audiophiles. Like I went to have my record turntable repaired. It had a bad motor in it, and it was causing the speed to fluctuate and just be really unstable. There was nothing I could do. It was beyond my expertise of fixing. So I went down to Ashland, Ohio. No, Worcester, Ohio. And there was a repair shop that actually does nothing but analog repairs. You're talking like $1,000 amplifiers, $6,000 record players. Like I felt bad walking in there because if I made one misstep, I would have broken stuff that's more valuable than my car. And they were telling me that he doesn't buy records that were pressed after 1980 because that's when the transition to digital happened in the studios. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the difference between records pressed before 1980 and after. And he thinks the ones that are pressed after are garbage and he wants nothing to do with them. So, of course, he had like Frank Sinatra and classic jazz and stuff like that. and. Then I'm looking at all this equipment. I'm like, you know why this sounds good, right? You have at least $15,000 right in front of me playing this record. And he's like, huh. Well, now that you put it that way. (laughs) But he swore up and down that the audio quality was better. And, you know, it was really good. It was probably the best record I've ever heard in my life to that point. But you can't discount the money that you put into it is going to be the quality that you get out of it as well.
2: Yeah, it's funny jose you mentioned you were bringing back memories to me about when you said kids ruining records yeah i did that (laughs) as a kid (laughs) me too I, i always remember i feel so bad about this stuff but when i was a kid i was the most horrible kid to be babysat in the world i (laughs) We went through multiple babysitters and I had problems with all of them. And, and I just, you know, it was a, this anti-authority streak that, you know, none of you ever seen before. No, never. But um, (laughs) I I would clash with everybody. Well, the one we, they had a, the trailer we lived in, we had a couple that lived kind of diagonal from us and they had two daughters. They were kind of like my my younger brother's ages. And, and they watched us for a time period. I, you know, might have been couple months it might have been you know a half a year you know it's it's my 8 year old brain trying to figure out what you know remember and it probably seemed longer than it was they probably only watched this twice for all I know and then that was it they were done with me but it was more than that but i remember that one of the things that my brothers and i cuz we were little jerks and we would do is they had a record player and they had a you know a few 45s that their one daughter had and we would go over there and we would play her 45 on 78 and, we, you know, oh, and geez. and we would play it really fast and, and 33 and we'd play <laughs> it really fast and really slow. And, and eventually I think we unknowingly broke a couple of her records doing that. And um, um, yeah. I remember here, you know, and, and at the time I, you know, I'm a kid who's like a little jackass and I was like, Oh, I didn't do that. You know, whatever. And so, I mean, I, you know, now here I am 40 years later, I, feel guilty about this stuff, but I, feel, you know, I just can't, you know, but at the same time that, that whole ruining because actually, but what it gets to is that part of the experience of albums was that ability to play with them, that I could take mm-hmm. a 45 and play it through and right. And, yep. and have fun with the sound and the, the speed of the record. And, you know, I mean, there are ways to do that with digital files too, you know, But again, Mm -hmm. there was that physical presence of a six to seven year, eight year old kid sitting there playing around with switches on a thing and, you know, making this, this thing in front of them, this record in front of them do different things. There's something, you know, they mentioned sort of the digital versus analog. And we think about technologies. I think to me, a lot of this conversation is really bringing home a lot of ideas about how we think about technologies. And there's something to that tangibility. Of something that the technology in a sense it's more mechanical than electronic and so yes. certainly there's an electronic component to it but the mechanical component gives it it's not more real i mean it's all goes back to how we define real and what is real and what isn't and you know that's all constructed mm-hmm. but that idea that it feels real you know not to go all tdk here or something but you know it feels real because I can see and affect and actually have hands-on the mechanical aspect of this versus the sort of digital or electronic thing. Where again, I mean, there's a hands-on component. I'm typing on my I'm using my keypad or my mouse or I'm using my keyboard and whatever, but but there's not that hands-on mechanical component and and, and that just that just really makes me think about this
1: stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say it makes me think of ebooks and like how bibliophiles they insist on reading books, and most people insist on reading books because of the, the real aspect of it versus yep. the digital.
2: Right? Con- <laughs> yeah, perfect connection. That that idea, of people be- but I like the feel of the book in my hands, right? Exactly.
0: Right. I kept right, I just kept thinking when you kept saying real, I thought of the uh I think it was Jesus Jones. They had a song called Real, Real, Real. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. They're secondhand.
0: Yeah, so it kept going through my head, and they never play that one. They always play the uh, "Right Here, Right Now,"
2: I, and you know, I haven't heard that real, one. In a yeah, now I have I've heard you're right, so Mark, yeah, because yeah. they play uh, "Right Here, Right Now." I mean, you can listen to the '90s on Nine or any '90s station. And they're gonna play that. But, but the the other hit, "Real Real, I haven't heard that in 25 years. Yeah, and and it wasn't a bad song, well, but I, when I Keep hearing about real, real. Okay, the the one that I, that comes to my mind, and Jose, I don't know if you're, yeah, I don't think you were ever in class when I, when I did did this. Well, I mean, we talked about like uh, Baudrillard and yep simulation and hyper reality, but years ago, especially when I was at Arizona State, you know, so like decade and a half ago, uh, uh, more than now, and I would teach about. The work of Jean Baudrillard, and we talk about hyper-reality and mediated reality and simulation and all this Mm -hmm. stuff that goes with it. I would always play uh, Even Better Than The Real Thing by U2 as we were coming into class. Because, I mean, it it really (laughs) sort of invokes that idea that that the fake is even better than the real thing.
0: And what's funny is, I think I have, like, the 12-inch remix of that. Because one of the things, when I started DJing back in the day, it was records. Mm -hmm. It was vinyl. So... I would bring vinyl out to the clubs and I would be, you know, out there. And you reminded me of a story. Both of you reminded me of the story. When I was first starting out DJing, I just got out of college and I was working at a bar. The DJ booth was right by the exit. It was like some kind of like back exit. And one of the bouncers would take the garbage out that way. And the bouncer wanted to hear Metallica, but everybody else in the bar wanted to dance yeah. to like salt and pepper and stuff like that. So what he would do is he would lift the garbage can up and drop it right in front of the DJ booth so that the record would skip. So that it would go from, like, you know, uh, there was four minutes left, and now I'd have 20 seconds left.
1: Fast
0: forward. <laughs> like scrambling for That's another
2: it, song. Right? The, the ability to play around with and basically, like, goof on, right? What's happening? Just like you're going to, you know, me as a kid playing around with the speeds on the record player. This guy knows, okay, I can make the record skip and get what I want, right? And I can... I can change the experience of this. <laughs> Mark, I wanted to chime in real quick when you mentioned DJing. It that reminded me of something else that also happens with records. Because like you said, in you know, in the early to mid 90s when we were getting into when you were getting into doing DJing and when we worked at WFAL over at the BG campus, one of the ways that people found out, you know, that there's all the the stories about song lyrics backwards.
1: Uh, And a bunch of them
2: are BS. There's all kinds of BS stories about there, you know, that that you can tell Paul was really dead or whatever from the Beatles and you know, whatever, right? But some of them are true. And working as a DJ, playing albums on the air and having to cue them up is one of the ways to figure that out or to test it, right? So Mm -hmm. if you play Another One Bites the Dust by Queen backwards. If you play the refrain, another one bites the dust, right, that part, the Mm -hmm. way that Freddie Mercury sings it, when you play that line backwards in the refrain, you play it backwards, it says, it's fun to smoke marijuana. And it's not like clear as day the way I said it there. It sounds more like it's fun to smoke marijuana, right? It's kind of distorted a little bit, but it's clear. And the one that I remember that I I had no clue of until the day I was queuing it up to put it on the air. You remember the song, or Jose, do you notice that? Freeze Frame by Jay Giles Band?
1: Yeah, yeah. Freeze Frame, dun, dun,
2: yeah. Yeah, 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 right? You know, and I'm in top five hit for Jay Giles Band. Not their biggest hit, that was Centerfold. But, you know, big hit, Mm -hmm. Jay Giles Band. Actually, one of my favorite, I remember the video as a kid. But queuing that that one up to play one day, And at the very beginning of the song, before the music even comes in, they yell, freeze frame. That's the very beginning of the song. So, of course, when you're queuing up the album, right, you're you're queuing it up and you're listening in. And as soon as you hear hear something, you stop it. And then you you take your hand and you play it back through that to get to the beginning. And so, of course, I'm doing that and I hear freeze frame and I, I stop it and I'm playing back through to get to hear back to the beginning. And as I'm playing back through, I hear, F-U. Oh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I try it again, and sure enough, the freeze frame at the beginning, and they sing it in a way that when you play it backwards, they're yelling, F-U. And, <laughs> you
1: know, again,
2: this yeah. is the, you know, you can do that, again, you can do that digitally, you can do that in, with other media, but it's where as a DJ or as somebody who yeah. would be queuing up records in some way, shape, or form – You find that stuff and you get like the it's like easter eggs right you know i found this really cool thing because i'm involved in this yeah
0: well i mean growing up as a kid when run dmc came out that just blew things off but what i was always interested was jam master j i mean the way he composed and used vinyl and records as a dj to compose those songs i recently only figured this out i mean i can't believe it took me this long but when I was doing the series where I post, you know, hey, who sampled who, that kind of thing, I guess I never realized mm-hmm. that my Sharona was the sample that was in It's Tricky. Oh,
1: I would have never guessed that either.
0: And it's just interesting. Yeah, if you, if you, you listen to it, but it's fascinating how just mm-hmm. that whole sample culture came from just what you're saying, right? Probably backbasting, going through, going, hey, wait a minute, you <laughs> know, If I do that here and I scratch it a couple of times really fast and Mm -hmm. then run another record on the other side, I could really create the whole music genre. So it is interesting how you're right that the things we've been talking about, that physical experience, the the nature of, yes, you can manipulate it. And then also
1: some of that ritual comes out in creating other music. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because... I watched this show on Netflix. It's called The Get Down. It was produced and directed by Boz Lerman. He did the 90s version mm-hmm. of, uh, what was the, Romeo and Juliet and mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge. He did that, but the whole show is about the birth of hip hop. And a turning point was the blackout, the great New York City blackout. And mm-hmm. it allowed all these kids to steal record players that they could never afford in records. And that's how the genre was born was through these kids stealing record players and playing around with it and creating something totally new and unheard of at that point. Wow. Yeah. It, I not
0: know that. Yeah. It, that's fascinating. And actually I was trying to think about that because you were saying earlier that I had a Fisher Price record player, I think, back back in the day. And that's probably how I ruined most of my albums. <laughs> just because it was such this it was it looked like a briefcase.
2: Mm-hmm. You yeah.
0: know? And you'd fold it up and you'd put it in there. I'm just curious. That sounds like what is being purchased now at retailers. Just curious, you know, if I don't have the, you know, 15 grand or whatever it is to put into a sound system, what are people starting off with to to get back into this? I guess this whole
1: vinyl revolution? So what I'm always recommending to people is if they can get a decent used turntable, that's probably going to be the best way to go. I got my Technics SLB2, I got that at Goodwill for less than five bucks. And all it really needed was a belt to replace it. And then I bought a pre-amplifier. I got that online. I want to say I spent no more than like a hundred dollars on that. And then I just hooked it up to some existing speakers that I had. But if you want to buy new, if you have no other experience with that, Audio Technica makes some really good entry-level turntables that aren't going to ruin your records. They run the range of anywhere between hundred bucks up to like three hundred for their entry-level stuff. And you get with the three hundred dollar one, you get full direct drive control, so you can actually play them in reverse. You can play different speeds. You can play everything. And it has a built-in preamplifier, so you can totally skip out that step too. The thing with the, the suitcases, they don't have any counterweights to them. Their needles are not made of the proper material. And whenever like you hear low end on the records, it causes the records to skip because the speakers are built in to the apparatus that is playing it. So you're getting conflicting vibrations that is causing this needle to jump over and scratch the records. And you see a lot of videos of kids trying out their favorite hip hop records and ruining them in the process because hip hop has a lot of bass in it. And boom, you hear that bass, it causes it to skip ahead like 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I guess for me thinking about this and you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's a resurgence because one, it's it's helping a lot of small businesses be able to to get back mm-hmm. into it. And then there's a different experience, as we talked earlier, you know, opening up the record, reading the liner notes. A friend of mine has listening parties where he invites people over and, and goes through it. And now maybe there's a social distancing listening party. I'm not <laughs> sure what the technicalities are around that. Yeah, I'm not but sure either. <laughs> but I guess... As part of where we are right now, one, is there a way that we can help keep some of these smaller businesses that are their whole being is around you know vinyl and keeping them going? And then number two, if you're thinking about getting into this, it sounds like you gave a good tip about the type of record player to purchase, but mm-hmm. what about purchasing vinyl and starting your collection?
1: So with the first one, if that store has an online presence and they're selling there, Find out and order from them directly. I know that a couple shops in Oberlin, there's Hansen Records and Mad Cow. They are selling stuff online too through a Discogs page. And that's going to bring me to the second question that you ask. Now, Discogs is a website that is cataloging, but there's also a marketplace aspect to it. If you were to search for like your favorite artist, their entire discography will show up. Also, every variation that was printed of that will show up as well, and whether or not it's for sale. That's a really easy way to get into vinyl collecting if you want to do it online. Once things return to a more normal state, always go to the record shops and talk to the owners there. These people will listen to you and get an idea of what people are listening to so they can order them. And they also have great recommendations. There's nothing like looking through the used bin at a record store And finding something that you're like, oh, you know, I really like their other album. Let's give this one a try. The last time I went to a record Mm -hmm. store was in Oberlin. And it was Hanson Records. And I found an original pressing of Leonard Cohen's debut album. It was mono. It was from 1966. And he only wanted like 20 bucks for it. And I took it home. And that's not something that you can just find at Target. You're not going to find an original pressing of Leonard Cohen's debut. And that was just one of my favorite experiences recently. And yeah, that's awesome. It's just really something that you have to experience in person. And a lot of people are intimidated by it, but it's one of the most welcoming communities that I've seen. And it's very easy to hmm. get into if you want to.
2: Yeah, people might think of like the Jack Black character on High Fidelity or something, you know. And <laughs> yeah. no, you know, people, you know, you are not all but, a bunch of elite turds like that who right. you know think they know everything, you know. But that's what you're describing, Jose. Really goes back to like these ritual and feel aspects that we've been talking about. I mean, the feel yeah, of walking into one of the one of these small business uh, record stores is an experience to be had. It, it, to me, it's. If you're going to understand music culture and the history of music culture and how that bleeds through in various ways, you've got to at least experience a little bit of going into some of these shops and just feeling what it's like to be in there.
0: Now, now, Ray, I got a question for you. Do you remember the first album that you purchased?
2: Like album? Do you buy album? See, this is the other thing. And Jose and I have talked about this, right?
0: Single. Okay, yes. Even
2: though we don't buy albums anymore, we still use that word because Old over. So by album, do you mean actual right, so, album, or do you mean the first like music I bought?
0: Hmm. Okay, yes. So I my question was specific to a physical, it could have been a, a 45, okay. or it could have been a full-length album.
2: Um, that I bought myself?
0: Yes, do you remember?
2: I don't know if this is right or not. The first one that I remember buying was, and it was a cassette, was okay. that sort of started my collection, The Beach Boys Endless Summer. Oh, good one.
0: That was the greatest hits, right?
2: Yeah. And that would have been, you know, I bought that probably mid 80s. Wow. What about you?
0: Well, I think my memory's incorrect. I think my a couple of my friends would correct me. But I believe it was Kiss Alive Two. It was a double album. <laughs> <laughs> Because for some reason, I had an infatuation with Kiss from an early age, and it just looked cool. It had two discs in it, and I really look forward to opening it and, and going through that whole thing. But on the other hand, a friend of mine's like, oh, no, man, it was Synchronicity. I'm like, well, that came out in 1983. I could have sworn I bought something yeah. <laughs> earlier on. So, yeah, Jose, so that wasn't your first album you recently purchased. Do you remember the first one that you started all this?
1: Yes. Now I could tell you the first CD that I bought and exactly where I bought it, and I can also tell you the first record I bought and where I bought wow. it. Wow! So all right, let's, let's do both. Bought, um, <laughs> all right, first CD I bought was February 2005 at the Mansfield Richland County Mall, and it was Francis the Mute by the Mars Volta. And I remember <laughs> uh, hearing about them on Fuse. It was like MTV for when I was in high school. They actually played mm-hmm. music videos and they had very psychedelic uh, videos it was very cool and yeah, their music is impossible to describe in just a couple words but it's psychedelic metal salsa that's all I'll say there <laughs> um really worth wow. listening to i love that's actually the first record i wrote about on tunes mate was francis the mute mm-hmm. yeah that's one of my favorite records of all time now the first album that i bought was three of a perfect pair by king crimson and i bought that at the Cuyahoga Falls Exchange in I want to say 2007 and yeah that's that's one of my favorite King Crimson records it has Adrian Ballou on guitar and he played with like the Talking Heads Frank Zappa yeah Yeah. he sings on this album and he does guitar and he does all like the crazy sound effects that he's known for and just it's a great album
2: if we're talking about actual albums I don't know that I ever like bought one back in the day but Jose actually has a couple of my original first albums. Yes, I, I have the Kiss those. Right You mentioned Kiss, yeah. Mark, that I had my one aunt years. I mean, you know, around 1980 or whatever it was, bought me. I was into Kiss too. You know, all of us like second graders love that makeup and stuff. Yep. And my mm-hmm. one aunt bought me Love Gun and the four solo albums and. Years ago, wow. I had a friend of mine wanted the Love Gun and the Gene Simmons one, and I, I uh, got, gave them to him, but I had the other three. I just kind of came to a point a couple years ago, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm not going to use these. I'm not going to probably collect vinyl. So I, uh, so Jose actually has them. Yeah. Now, those, either those or the soundtrack to the F- Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie, The one with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. Ah. Either the Kiss albums or that were my first album that I had. I used to listen to that Sergeant Pepper's thing like all the time. You know, Peter Frampton just celebrated his 70th birthday, and that's that was my like, you know, as a kid. I mean everybody knows Peter you know Peter Frampton for his hits and stuff, but as Mm -hmm. a kid I knew him as Billy Shears in Sergeant Pepper's Loman. And that's what I, I remember him singing. I I wrote about on Tunes Mate that my favorite Peter Frampton song is actually his version of the Long and Winding Road. And so, if you're really actually talking about like what was the first album you owned, then it was either Kiss or it was Trek, which I could still like okay. I could still watch that movie today and just it, I mean it's corny and it's it's goofy and it, I mean it, you know rot, you know Rotten Tomatoes is gonna tell you how horrible <laughs> it is, but God, I love that thing. Yeah. Now, I
0: read your post. I listened to it. I didn't hear the Bee Gees in the song for some reason. I listened to it, like, twice, and I was going, well, wait a minute. Where are the Bee Gees? Are they just doing the the, the backing track Um, on
2: that? Yeah, they would be the backing track if they're on I think that in the film they do some backing vocals on it. Because there are various parts in the film where only one person sings. I mean, there's a whole whole song where Robin sings Mm -hmm. Oh Darling, and it's him. It's not Barry. It's not Maurice. It's not... Peter, It's Robin singing Oh Oh, Darling. And so there are various parts in the film where each person is highlighted. And then, of course, there are songs on there that aren't by the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. So so Earth, Wind, and Fire does got to get you into my life. And uh, Steve Martin plays Mm -hmm. this weird guy named Mr. Maxwell, and he he sings (laughs) Bang Bang Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And Donald Pleasant plays Mr. Mustard. And so, I mean, they have all these allusions to weird Beatles songs. And so, you know, there's, there's a whole cast there and Aerosmith is in there. They, they do, um, <laughs> got hair down below his knees. Come together. Yeah. Thank you. Come together. They do a whole version. So, I mean, there's all these like artists that, you know, that are in there. And out oh, when Alice Cooper is in there,
1: I was going to say Alice Cooper, he did because with the Bee Gees in that one.
2: Yes. Yes. Because. Yeah. He does because yeah. And the Bee Gees yeah. do that backing. vocal Exactly and it's this whole part where they've got these instruments that were stolen and and so yeah. Alice Cooper has one of them and Steve Martin's character Maxwell has another one of them and the Bee Gees and Billy Shears have to go and rescue these instruments and there's a whole love story with Peter Frampton's character Billy Shears the character played actress name was Sandy Farina. See, I know this stuff way too well the actress <laughs> name was Sandy Farina, and she played the girl she played was named Strawberry Fields and she leaves home and go. You know, it's the it's the classic sort of story that you know, small town girl leaves home and then you know tries to make it in the entertainment business, and you know, and and he's the the boy from back home who tries who goes and does make it, and you know, I think I want to go watch it now.
0: So it's, it's like a uh, poison's fallen angel. I see how it is. Okay. <laughs>
2: well, totally, totally. Or if you ever watched. Uh, you know, the Rock of Ages, you know, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, I have yeah, Poison Angels. Yeah,
0: this is cool. Well, this has been awesome. I think it's been cool to talk about vinyl. I feel like we can probably go on for another hour yeah. talking yeah. about this, reminiscing, bringing things up. But I think, in summary, the couple things that are jumping out to me one is it just seems like it's fun. It's fun to go through the ritual, listen to the music. Spend the time, not only from going out to the store and the experience, but just everything around it. And I could see why it's attracting a lot of attention and bringing people back into this. And I think during this time, really good suggestions, Jose, to go out and support those local organizations, businesses. Mm hmm. Before we jump off, does anybody have any you know parting thoughts or anything else they want to jump in?
1: I mean, if you're thinking about doing it, do it. Get yourself a used turntable. Hook it up to some speakers if you got them. Just jump in. I think the time is perfect. Everyone that's wanting to do it is in on it, and there's no better time to start.
2: I think Jose sums it
1: up. All
0: right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tunes Mate. It was great <laughs> to have Jose jump in, and coming up, We've got a couple other things up our sleeve, a couple other interviews and with some musical artists, we here have a couple things that we've been thinking about as well. So don't forget, subscribe to our podcast, follow our site, everything on social media. We look for your support and we thank you for tuning in and for Ray and Jose, thank you. And we will see you next time.